All right, chapter one, Kingdom's Quest, book five in the Kingdom series. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Epilogue. Prologue. Prologue, prologue, prologue. And that starts with, the prologue is entitled, Bastion of Evil. I am Cedric of Chessington, knight of the prince and humble servant of the same. I have heard the tales of the hundred mighty men and seen the flashing blades of a thousand more. Though I am wholly undeserving of the favor of the king and his noble son, here I sit, ready to fight for the prince against the approaching evil forces of the dark knight and his shadow warriors. I am not worthy, but the prince has made me so, for he lifted me from the depths of peasantry and made me a son, a knight to carry the brilliant sword of his code and the truth of his sacrifice for the people to the far reaches of the kingdom. In your corner of the kingdom, I can only hope that the feeble words of my story might light upon your ears and bring understanding of the great significance of the majestic prince and his mission to save the people. Perhaps you have joined me in times past to hear the story of one much greater than I, the gallant Sir Gavanaugh. From my heart I tell the truth. No mortal man born in a tray has served the king and the prince with more zeal than he. As a persecutor of the knights of the prince, his remarkable encounter with the prince himself transformed his passionate course of destruction into a beacon of light that burned brighter than the fires in the caverns of Sida. What's Sida? Uh, it's just a place made up for the story. My time of service to the prince in the coming great battle is near. But the tale of the gallant Sir Gavanaugh must be told, for his work in this land was powerful and his in influence great. He was trained and knighted near the Crimson River by the prince himself. He faced a kingdom of enemies and skeptics, but his passion was not hindered, for the power of the prince was strong in his heart. I think, like, the knighting of Gavanaugh was, like, um, John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, maybe? No, it was Paul it was getting, Paul. it was Saul becoming Paul. It was, like, his 14 years of training. And his three years in the Arabian, in the Arabian desert. Probably he's been because I know after, like, after he had the encounter outside the city, and he, like, I think he went around for, like, a tiny bit, and then he just disappeared for, like, 14 years. Let me look it up. Paul's three years in Arabia... Why, when, and for how long was the Apostle Paul in Arabia? 
I'm not sure about your 14 years, though. Maybe it'll say that here. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. No, I... <laughs> it could be. Sonia, please don't. Sonia, show her. In the book of Galatians, Paul emphasizes that he received the gospel from Jesus directly and not from the other apostles. As evidence, he offers the following information in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate, immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles bef before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. That is so before Peter and Paul. Saul was Paul's name before he... Right. became before Jesus appeared to him and said Saul Saul why do you what did he say why do you persecute me or why do you kick against the goads but anyways it says Paul was in Arabia for at least three years immediately after his conversion some spec speculate it's all speculation you guys that Paul spent this time in relative seclusion, perhaps living as a desert hermit and sorting out the implications of his new faith. A hermit. Um, a loner. Like, um, like one of those... Living in the cabin in the middle of the woods. Yeah, somebody that lives by themselves. And sorting out the implications of his new faith. However, the biblical record emphasizes that he immediately began preaching in the synagogues. I thought it was like, um, what's it called? I thought it was somewhere like in Asia, John. Somewhere where? On one of the, maybe, I don't remember. It was in one of the, maybe Luther John. Oh. I thought. And it was like. I thought that like he went on some very long missionary journeys. I thought that what we were talking about, like he was a moon. I thought like he was one of the sand people and stars, kind of like that. Those yeah. okay. So so, anyways. We can study Paul's life. Um, uh, 
My time of servant... Perhaps you have joined me in times past to hear the story of one much greater than I, the gallant Sir Gavinoth. From my heart I tell the truth. No mortal man born in a tray has served the king and the prince with more zeal than he. As a persecutor of the knights of the prince, his remarkable encounter with the prince himself transformed his passionate course of destruction into a beacon of light that burned brighter than the fires in the caverns of Sita. My time of service to the prince in the coming great battle is near. But the tale of the gallant Sir Gavinaugh must be told, for his work in this land was powerful and his influence great. He was trained and knighted near the Crimson River by the prince himself. He faced a kingdom of enemies and skeptics, but his passion was not hindered, for the power of the prince was strong in his heart, and his sword was now the sword of truth and justice. He was a, his was a quest to save a kingdom in chaos, a quest like no other. All right, chapter one. A Knight's Return. Gavinaugh looked across the Brimshire Plains to the Boundary Mountains. He then turned and scanned northward toward Camaria and finally west to the forest of Renault and beyond where the Chessington Valley, Kesson's territory, and the Great Sea lay. As he... Was Chessington overtaken by the Kessons again? I will just have to see, sweetie. I don't know. It hasn't said that. Chessington and the surrounding regions. Oh, wait. All he had really known was the city of Chessington and the surrounding regions. But his mind was slowly awakening to the enormity of the kingdom and his mission to reach all lands and all people with the story of the prince. Gavinaugh filled his lungs with the sweet, crisp morning air of the country and felt small. He slowly shook his head. You are troubled, the prince said as he stood before Gavinaugh, ready to mount his steed. I am but one, my lord, and I ache to reach all of Arethre. I worry that my legs might not endure in the days of my life might not be numerous enough to reach them all. Where do I start? He looked upon the royal face of the prince. The prince smiled. You start and end with me, Gavinaugh. You are not responsible for your service to me, not for the decisions of others. Fulfill your duty one day at a time, and leave the outcome in my hands. Gavinaugh understood and nodded. Your fellow knights do not trust you. Your journey to the ends of the kingdom must first pass through Chessington. They need to know that you are truly a knight of the prince. Yes, my lord, but how am I to travel? The prince held up his hand to silence him. 
Gavinaw knew that the prince could hear something he could not. He strained to listen. A moment later, he not only heard the rumble, but felt the pounding in the earth of a hundred of hundreds of horses. Out of the north, he saw the growing mass of a mighty army approaching. He felt a sweat of anxiety in his stomach and began to draw his sword. They are mine, the prince said as he mounted his steed. He looked down at Gavinaw, and in that moment Gavinaw felt the gaze of a king upon him. Soon an army of mighty warriors enveloped them. They saluted the prince and waited in silence for his command. The prince's horse reared, and he led the force southward to the great sea. As the mass of steeds and their riders passed by on each side, Gavinaw recognized one warrior among them. Porinth broke off from the rest and came to him. You look well, my friend. Porinth smiled as he spoke above the thundering sound. The last of the warriors passed like a rush of wind, and the sound of beating hooves quickly diminished. I am well. Finally, I am well. Gavinaw returned the smile. Porinth nodded. You have partaken of the character of the prince. It is easy to tell when one has been with him. I am humbly grateful and a privileged man. As are we all. Porinth looked toward his retreating force. May your travels be fair and your battles sure, Sir Gavinaw. And yours, good sir, Gavinaw said. You don't perhaps have an extra horse about, do you? Strange, you should ask, Porinth said. You are not the only one who has skirted death. He smiled again and bolted away toward his army without another word. Gavinaw was confused, but he was learning that the messages of the silent warriors were oftentimes more like riddles. He watched the prince's army diminish in the distance. I guess my travels will begin on foot, he said aloud and looked toward the forest from which he had come weeks earlier. Just then, a horse neighed loudly a short distance behind him, and Gavinon nearly jumped out of his armor. He turned to see a sight that delighted his soul. Triumph? He ran to the horse and could hardly contain his joy. Triumph, it is you. How can this possibly be? Triumph seemed pleased to see Gavinaw as well. He stroked the horse's neck and felt as though they were once again a team. In examining the horse, he noticed the scar on Triumph's shoulder, but otherwise he seemed healthy and whole. He mounted Triumph and looked forward to his course back home. After many days of traveling, Gavinaw arrived in the Chessington Valley. He timed his arrival at dusk, for he was unsure of the status of the city and of the noble knights. 
He knew he must face Caiaphas one day, but now was not the time. For such an encounter would only hinder his call to the greater purpose of life. He took the back alleyways to the home of a man named Terrell. He dismounted and knocked quietly at the back door, as he had done many times before. The door opened slightly, and a stout-looking man with a scraggly beard peered out. What in the... The man opened the door to allow Gavinaugh entrance and then looked outside after him to confirm that no one was watching. He quickly closed and locked the door and turned to face Gavinaugh. There was no joyous reunion. I heard you were dead, or worse, Terrell said bluntly. Gavinaugh did not respond. He produced a small bag that jingled with coins. Where do they meet now? Terrell laughed. So you've come to finish the job you've started, eh? I guess I know which rumors to believe. Gavinaugh was becoming uncomfortable, for here in the home of his old informant, he was dramatically facing the reality of his former life. Just tell me the location, and I'll be on my way. Double the fee, and I will hand their leaders to you on a silver platter. Terrell seemed thrilled with the prospect. How so? An acquaintance of mine has gained the trust of two of their leaders, Barrett and William. Those names sound familiar? Mm -hmm. No. Those... They're the people who went Barrett. spying. Barrett and William were who? Uh, Cedric. They were noble knights. Yeah, they were noble knights. Yeah, they weren't. They they were just like Gavin. He told me that there is a meeting arranged with one of the followers from the Outdweller Haven. With a little persuasion, I can convince him to tell me the location. You and your men could take them with ease. Gavin, I thought for a moment and realized that this would be his best opportunity to reach the Knights of the Prince. So the Knights of the Prince are like the, the good guys. The noble knights were the bad guys. They're the twisted good bad guys. They're the twist. They used to be good guys, but now the... The almost good. Like the not the, quite good guys. Like the Pharisees. The They're not bad guys. They used to They're not good guys. They used to They're be good. They're the in-between guys. Back when uh, They're the mediocre guys. Leonad was kind of started them, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Very well. I will agree on one condition. No one else, not even the noble knights, are to be told. Is that clear? Oh, that was... That was Gavinaugh saying that. Terrell's eyes narrowed. All right, I can agree to that. What have you got up your sleeve, Gavin? 
Gavinal looked at the man fiercely. If you betray me, Terrell, my next hunt will be for you. Gavinal paid the man and left. So this was Gavin's previous informer. What is that? Means that this guy would betray the he would betray the knights of the prince and tell Gavin where they were meeting. And he still thinks that Gavin is a bad guy. Two nights later, Gavinock cautiously approached a shop in the northern part of Chessington. He found an alcove and watched from the shadows of the night. The air was thick and still. He spotted the door that led to the chamber where the meeting was to be. The sounds of a city settling down for the night mixed with the chirp of crickets and an occasional barking hound. He was apprehensive, for he was not completely confident that Terrell could be trusted. He was a man who made his living on deception and on bartering one deal for another. Loyalty was not part of his character. Even if Terrell chose not to betray him, Gavinaugh wasn't sure how the knights of the prince would respond to him. Although he carried his sword, he knew he could never draw it upon a fellow knight of the prince, even if it meant the end of his life. After a long wait, Gavinaugh was fairly confident that no one was nearby. He walked to the door. He looked up and down the alley one more time, took a deep breath, and opened the door and stepped in. As he closed the door, his back was to the room. Finally, you've arrived, a man said. Gavinaugh turned and faced the men. Were you delayed, sir? Before him stood two men in tunics bearing the mark of the prince. One was a bit shorter and nearly bald. Gavinaugh immediately recognized the taller, darker-haired knight as one of the first men he captured a long time ago. Gavinaugh had questioned him in the cells of the prison. The recognition was mutual, as evidenced by the look of shock on the man's face. Both men immediately drew their swords and looked to the doors of the shop, apparently expecting a full ambush to crush down upon them. Gavinaugh held up his hand. I am alone, gentlemen. Please do not be alarmed. The tension in the room was thick. Both men were poised in a fight-ready stance. Gavinaugh wondered if they would run him through and flee, but they did not attack. The shorter man slowly moved to the front door. Check the street, the taller man said. The other man opened the door a crack. Two noble knights, he said in a hushed tone. They are not with me. I didn't come to fight you. Please believe me, Gavinaugh said. The two men gripped their swords tighter and took a step toward Gavinaugh. You are Sir Gavin, the tyrant of Chessington. Why should we believe you? The taller man said as he pointed his sword at him. Just then, 
the door behind Gavinaugh began to open and dread filled his heart. Terrell must have betrayed me. He turned toward the door and drew his sword. Only then did he realize his error. He was in the presence of men who regarded him as an enemy. With his sword in his hand, their perception was undeniable. It's a trick, the shorter man exclaimed. As they rushed upon Gavinaugh, he turned to face them and lowered his sword. The two men brought their swords back to strike. For a moment, Gavinaugh wondered if his mission would be over before it began. But they did not finish their attack. It seemed to Gavinaugh as though they could not attack one who would not defend himself. We are among friends, gentlemen. Please lower your swords. A familiar voice said from behind Gavinaugh. A knight of the prince entered and stood among the odd trio. The tension in the room abated somewhat. Weston, this is Gavin, the noble knight. He is here to either kill or capture us. No, Sir William, I can assure you that he is not here for that, Weston replied. The two men were clearly struggling with seeing Gavinaugh as anything but a ruthless persecutor of the followers of the prince. They did not lower their swords. Weston walked between his friends and Gavinaugh. He turned his back to Gavinaugh and opened his arms to the two knights. Now their swords were pointed at Weston's chest. He is a fellow knight of the prince. I give you my life as my word. They lowered their swords, but did not appear convinced. Gavinaugh sheathed his sword. Barrett, check the door again, William said. All clear, Barrett replied. Weston turned to face Gavinaugh, and the two embraced. It is good to see you again, my friend. And you, he replied. Your timing is impeccable. Sir William, Sir Barrett, meet Sir Gavinaugh of Chessington, Weston said. With a sober heart, Gavinaugh spoke. I have caused you and many others great suffering, and for that I am truly sorry. Were it not for the transforming power of the prince, I would not be standing before you this evening. Please know that my heart beats with the sole purpose of proclaiming the prince as the true son of the king. I join my sword and my life to yours in this great mission. Gavinaugh extended his left hand. William hesitated and then took it. The ways of the prince are for everyone, even for one such as you, William said, and Gavinaugh remembered William speaking those words from long ago when he thought William to be a crazy man. Barrett also accepted Gavinaugh's hand. I am no longer Gavin of Chessington, but Gavinaugh of Arethtray, for the prince has made all things new in me. 
I apologize for the abrupt meeting, good sirs. My association with the Knights of the Prince is rather limited at this time, and I had no other way to contact you. Barrett sheathed his sword. Your disappearance was a great mystery to many in the city. We would love to hear your story. Gavino smiled and knew in his heart that this was the first of many opportunities he would have to share his story. I have been with the prince. As Gavinaugh told all to William and Barrett, his zeal for the prince spilled into every word that came from his lips. And soon the men had become his loyal brothers as well. We must take you to Cedric. He will want to know of the great work the prince has done in you. Williams said, Weston, bring Gavinot to the haven tomorrow evening, and we will prepare Cedric and the others for his visit. William turned to Gavinot. We hope your next encounter with the Knights of the Prince will not be quite as intense. Gavinot laughed. Indeed. We got time for another one? says it's only 13 minutes. Chapter 2 is called A Journey of Will. The meeting with Cedric and the other knights of the prince was at first cautious, then joyful, then exciting, as all became aware of the mighty work the prince was beginning. Initially, some of the knights fell into dispute about the outdwellers, arguing that, arguing that they must first be made citizens of Chessington and prove that they would uphold the Articles of the Code. But Cedric stood with Gavinaugh as he declared the words of the prince and his intention to make knights of outdwellers, regardless of their citizenship. In the end hearts of all were unified and confirmed, for they accepted and understood the prince's intention to reach the entire kingdom. Now, did you guys follow that? They argued that they must first be made citizens of Chessington and prove that they would uphold the Articles of the Code. So what does that mean, like, what part of the Bible is paralleled here with... Uh, they don't have to be the Jews. Medical law. Yeah. The articles of the code would be the Levitical law. And being a citizen of Chessington is becoming a Jew, yeah. Yeah? That just means the laws of Moses and all of the laws that are in the first five books of the Bible, mainly Leviticus. Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. The Torah. What's that? The Torah. Yeah, the Torah. Yep. There's the Torah. Six hundred and thirty <laughs> some. Some are do this, some are don't do this. Yeah. Some are super important, some are Not so much. pretty minor. 
Anyways, all the points of the law. Okay. In the end, the hearts of all were unified and confirmed, for they accepted and understood the prince's intention to reach the entire kingdom. That would have been pretty shocking if you were a Jew. Always being told that you were God's chosen people, and then Jesus coming along and saying, I have sheep that are not of this flock. Do you remember ever reading that or hearing that? I have sheep that are outside of this flock. What on earth does that mean, Jesus? At the Council of the Knights of the Prince, it was determined that Weston should travel with Gavinoff for a time on his journeys to other cities and regions. They departed the following morning to the port city of Cumbria. Cumbria was a quaint city nestled between the lush, rolling hills of the country and the shore of the Great Sea. It was an access point for much of the trade from other coastal regions to the eastern kingdom. Yeah. Um, I don't know, sweetie. I don't know. It was an access point for much of the trade from other coastal regions to the eastern kingdom. Ships of all sizes and origins dotted the harbor of the city. Gavinaugh and Weston found a few people who were willing to hear the words from the prince but they perceived a strange fearfulness in the hearts of most. Ten came to believe on the prince, and Gavinaw and Weston began to train them diligently in the art of the sword to become true knights of the prince. Remarkably, they met no resistance, for there were no other knightly orders to take offense at their training. One day, while Gavinaw and Weston were in the market square, a man approached Gavinaw and spoke quietly, as though he did not want to be overheard. He glanced about the square as if searching for something or someone. "'What can I do for you, sir?' Gavinaw asked. "'The prefect of Sergustine of Cumbria wishes to meet with you,' the man said, continuing the search with his eyes." We would be honored, Gavinaugh replied. We will come with you now. No, the man said quickly. He will meet you at his manor in the back courtyard tomorrow morning at sunrise. We will be there, Gavin said, and the nervous man departed at once. Weston scratched his head. What is it about this city? Gavinaugh asked him. I don't know, Weston said. The wealthy are certainly apprehensive, and I sense that our presence is becoming uncomfortable to them. Perhaps our recruits can give us an answer. That evening, Gavinoff spoke with a young man named Cade. He said he had been drawn to Gavinoff and Weston earlier while hearing them talk in the marketplace. He was curious about the strange story of the prince 
in the order of the knights of the prince. Gavinaw spoke with him while Weston worked with the other men. But I thought a man must possess great wealth and train many years in order to become a knight, Cade said. Gavinaw shook his head. When a man's heart beats with the purpose of the code and he follows the truth of the prince, he is more of a knight than one who owns great lands and has trained with the sword since childhood. I know what this is. The ways of the prince are a great mystery to those who don't believe, but to those of us who do, they are life itself. The irony is that the prince calls the poor and the lowly, and not many wealthy or mighty will accept these truths and yield to him. For a short time they will have their reward, but your reward is so much greater and will last forever. A grand manor awaits you in the kingdom across the sea. Your reward will not ever be taken from you, not here or in the kingdom to come. We have become like the prince himself, joint heirs to the kingdom, and we will rule with him one day. How can this be true? I am so unworthy. I am just a pauper. Cade seemed quite perplexed by Gavinaw's words. A poor person. Very poor. Cade seemed quite perplexed by Gavinaw's words. Those who know they are unworthy and yet believe are true knights of the prince, for it was the death of the prince that made them worthy. Those who think themselves worthy by their own skill and power shall never see the king's kingdom. It is only through his son that one can find the way, the only way. Cade's face shone with interest. What of the other knightly orders? They seem to uphold many of the same ideals as the code of the king. Do not be deceived, young Cade. Only one order is the true order. Many are beguiled by the apparent goodness of the other orders, but they do not believe in the prince or in his sacrificial mission to Erethrae. In reality, the Dark Knight is the architect behind these orders to entice as many away from the prince as possible. He is as cunning as a serpent that has mesmerized its next victim. The ways of these orders seem right to many, but in the end, they will be destroyed. What of those who live by the true code of the king? Are they worthy? No man, save one, has perfectly fulfilled all of the articles of the code, and that man is the prince. If a man believes he is worthy as a knight because he has fulfilled the code, he is a liar and fools not only others, but also himself. It is the code that brings understanding to our unworthiness. Only when one accepts the truth of the prince and his mission here in Rethray is he worthy to become a knight of the prince. He cannot fulfill the code 
but nevertheless he is worthy because of the prince alone. Do we then not live by the code if we are unable to fulfill it? Cade asked. May the king forbid it, Gavinaw said. Because of the prince, we are made worthy and we establish the code all the more. For our hearts desire the ways of the prince and to become like him who fulfilled the code to perfection. To believe in the prince, it seems too simple, Sir Gavinaw. Gavinaw smiled. It is the simplest and the hardest thing you will ever do. Why do you say it is hard as well? You must understand that if you become a knight of the prince and live by the code, you will encounter great adversity. There are those who have left the order because of such challenges. The prince requires complete surrender of all that you have and all that you are to him. This is why the wealthy and the mighty find it nearly impossible to yield to him. He must become their lord and often their pride and greed prevent it. When you become a knight of the prince, you join an order that is contrary to the rest of the kingdom, and you then become the adversary of the great enemy of the king, oh, the greatest enemy of the king that has ever existed, the dark knight and his shadow warriors. If you choose to follow the prince, you must prepare yourself for great battles, young Cade. But remember that the prince has promised that he will always, always be with you. Gavinaw could see the light of truth twinkling in the young man's eyes. Are you prepared to take up the sword of the prince, to give him all that you have and all that you are? to honor and serve him in all that you do, to endure the adversity that will surely come to you as one of his knights. I am, Cade answered. Kneel. Cade reverently dropped to his knees. Do you believe in the prince, the king's son, and in his death on the tree to save you? Do you believe that he rose up from the death that he rose up from death and lives? I do, Kate answered. Will you take up the sword of the prince and uphold the king's code until your last breath? I will. Gavina unsheathed his sword and touched Cade's shoulders with it as he spoke. Then I dub you Sir Cade, Knight of the Prince. Rise, Sir Cade. Cade stood, and his eyes gleamed with the light of his new life. All my life I have hoped to hear such words and thought them possible only in the words of a fairy tale. But here today I have been lifted from a life of despair and hopelessness into a life of promise and expectation. Now my life has purpose and meaning. I feel like a new man. 
Gavinaugh placed a hand on his shoulder. And that you are. Now you can help me discover some truth. What could I possibly teach you, Sir Gavinaugh? Tell me about Prefect Sergustine. I don't know very much about him, but he seems to be an honest man, Cade said. Our presence here seems to have made the leaders of the city nervous. Do you have any idea why? Gavinaugh asked. You are probably right, but they always seem nervous to me. Kate hesitated. I only know of rumors as to why. Gavinaugh looked into his eyes. I am meeting with the prefect tomorrow. Perhaps your rumors will... Ow! Sorry. That hurt. I am meeting with the prefect tomorrow. Perhaps your rumors will prepare me. Cade hesitated and then nodded. As a child, I once heard of a mysterious dark warrior who visited the prefect years ago. It is believed by some that he is the true prefect of the city and that Sergustine is simply a pawn used to bring the wealth of the city to the mysterious warrior. Some claim that this dark warrior lives nearby, but most everyone thinks him to be a myth. No one will speak of such things openly, though. Why not? Gavinaugh asked. I'm sure it is just a coincidence, but a mischievous lad who claimed he saw this mysterious warrior one evening was found dead a couple of days after telling a story. People said he was kicked in the head by a horse, but some suspect that his untimely death was not an accident at all. I think perhaps your presence and talk of the prince has resurrected this great superstition among the people. You should be careful, Sir Gavinaugh. This all sounds quite bizarre, but rest assured, I will be careful, Gavinaugh said. That evening, Gavinaugh pondered all that Cade had said. There was indeed a strange and fearful heart among the citizens of Cumbria. It was a fear he had tasted once before. Okay, and that's the end of chapter two, kiddos. No, it's late. Oh my goodness, it's 10.30. We gotta go to bed.